Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. And it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. Well, this one's a first. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Sadiq Elamine. He's an MD, PhD, and a board-certified orthopedic surgeon who, in his spare time, also happened to start up a lab for advanced biomaterials and tissue engineering. So you might be wondering how I plan to make a conversation with a surgeon applicable to you, the financial advisor. But within just a few minutes of meeting the doc, it became very clear my challenge was going to be fitting everything he had to offer you all in such a short conversation. Over the course of an extraordinary career, Dr. Elamine has provided care for many pro athletes and other high net worth individuals. Athletes like Shaquille O'Neal have sought him out as well as the president of Liberia, among other notables. He's also served as the assistant team doctor for the New York Knicks and founded the Laboratory for Tissue Engineering and Advanced Biomaterials at Southern Illinois University, where he was also the director of shoulder and sports medicine. Dr. Elamine has performed extensive mission and charity work for people in need nationally and internationally. He's also mentored aspiring doctors and built meaningful, lasting relationships with people from all over the world. This is a guy who truly understands the value of sending the elevator back down as we discuss in our conversation. So here's just a little bit of what else we get into. We start out with how and why pro athletes like Shaq and world dignitaries like the president of Liberia and other high net worth clients seek out Dr. Elamine to work with him. I love how he expands on the simple advice to treat every client like your mother. If you've ever aspired to work with pro athletes or other high net worth individuals, get the notepad ready. I promise the doc delivers here. From there, we go to why you should never bend your own rules, no matter who walks into your office or how much money they have in their bank account. Next, Dr. Elamine shares the story of why he passed up an offer to work with Paul McCartney. Yes, one of the Beatles, Paul McCartney, and what it can teach financial advisors about knowing your true worth. Then we dig in on how Dr. Elamine chose his own financial advisor and why coaching your clients on the art of business can help you land super successful doctors and other entrepreneurs just like him. For those of you trying to grow a team, we get into the power of mentorship and investing in your people, including his process for juggling the chaos and getting things done. We wrap up with how after thousands of surgeries, Dr. Elamine stays present with each and every client. Definitely something that applies to financial services as you all look at that jam-packed calendar in front of you and wonder how you can all get it done. It starts with an annual practice centered around giving unconditionally, and it's incredible advice for all of us to hear. Okay, one last thing before we get to the conversation. For those of you who want to dig in on your practice specifically, I'm going to do something I haven't done ever before and offer 30 minutes of coaching on the house for the first five listeners out there that want to take me up on it. Dr. Elamine inspired me with his giving during our conversation. So I thought, what do I have to lose by offering some help to a few loyal listeners out there? We'll grab 30 minutes to dig in on whatever it is that's holding your business back. Maybe it's a marketing issue like keeping enough qualified appointments on the calendar, or maybe you're struggling with getting potential prospects off the fence with the dreaded, I want to think about it. Or maybe you're simply a victim of your own success and just trying to figure out how to scale your team with the right hires and pay structure. The agenda is up to you for the first five of you who raise your hand. To do that, simply hop out to bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply 
and take five minutes to fill out a simple application with details on your business structure so we can make the most of your 30 minutes. And we'll connect, see if we can generate some breakthroughs in our time together. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to limit it to the first five due to calendar constraints. But if that's you, once again, you can apply at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. Also, don't forget links for all of the show's resources like books mentioned, people discussed, as well as a full transcript of our conversation can be found in the show notes as well at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash four two. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening in. And without further delay, my conversation with Dr. Sadiq Alameen. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. And this is a special one. I'm joined by Dr. Sadiq Elamin. Welcome to the show, doctor. Well, thank you for having me. And I think I officially nailed your name. Did I get that? You did. We got to do our little bump there. Right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> for those of... <laughs> so uh, this is going to be... I, I've prepared quite a bit for this just because this is a first on the show. Obviously, this is a show for financial advisors. And when we were originally introduced by uh, Taryn and Emily that do the production side of the show, I was trying to figure out how do I take someone that operates on shoulders and make sure that our conversation is going to serve the financial advisor audience. But then we had our original conversation. I'm like, oh man, we're going to be able to riff for like two hours here. No problem. Just based on where that conversation went. So as we tiptoe into this conversation, my first question for you, Doc, is how did you originally connect with Shaquille O'Neal? I think that's a a fun way to start the conversation. Let's go there and, and see where the conversation goes from there. Oh, it's, it's interesting. Everyone asks me that question. I mean, I got a call one day from this deep voice and I thought I was being pranked. And it was like, you know, I love to imitate Shaquille O'Neal. I've been working on it. He's just like, is this Dr. Elamine? I'm like, uh, yeah, who's this? This is Shaq. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, yes, it is. No, it's not. Because, like, no, it's really Shaq. So I, I kind of like hung up on him because I thought I was being pranked. He called back and he actually FaceTimed me and I saw his face and I was like, whoa, Shaq. And he's just like, so, uh, you're the doctor that does regenerative medicine. And I said, uh, yes. He says, I want to come see you. I said, uh, for what? He says, well, I just want to talk to you about some things that I've been having, some pain and some issues. And I was like, so I made an appointment. I didn't think he was going to show up because, you know, you're just like, it's, it's Shaq. He's not going to show up. He actually comes in to my clinic and everyone, all my patients are like, oh my God, the Shaq and all this stuff and everything. So he comes in, I meet him and, and then uh, I take him to a private room and then uh, we start uh our conversation. And uh, we start talking about just some of the things that he's probably that he's been having as a professional athlete after playing in the league. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I mean, these guys just, I mean, they just take a, just a, a horrible beating throughout their career. They've been training since they were, since they were babies. And so when they're done, they literally have a lot of medical problems that kind of affect them, even though they may be in their mid thirties, they can sometimes have a body of almost like a, a 45 or 50 year old. Mm-hmm. And so, and they continue needing that care. And so, uh, because I had taken care of a lot of uh, sports guys in the past and knew some people in the, that he knew, he was referred to me through those channels. So, but it was, uh, definitely an amazing experience. And we still communicate. I still take care of him, also his family and a lot of other, uh, people throughout the, uh, league. And so, so let's go there because I think, as I was preparing for this conversation, your resume, I mean, it, it goes on for pages. And so it, this wasn't an easy conversation. <laughs> but but here, here, if I'm condensing the theme okay. out of those couple pages, right. what I took from it was I took 
someone that's a lifelong learner. I took someone that is a true master of their craft and continues to try to master their craft as it evolves. So I think that's what's interesting. What's an interesting parallel in this conversation. That's a lot of our clients in financial services. Just when you think you have it figured out, that's when you're probably getting ready to go down the wrong path. And so my question is because a lot of our clients really, they aspire to work with higher net worth individuals, people like Shaq, maybe professional Mm -hmm. athletes, maybe doctors like yourself. Mm -hmm. You've got to reach a pinnacle before somebody like Shaquille O'Neal or some of the other pro athletes that you've worked with really reaches out and you're the guy. So what can financial advisors take from your story to maybe replicate? How could I work with, how could I aspire to work with clients like that? Wow. That's a tough question to answer, but I'm going to answer it like this, because let me tell you a story. And I'm going to try not to get long-winded. Simple as this. When it comes down to it, you can get another house, you need another car, you can get another company, but you only get one right arm, one left arm, one right knee. So at the end of the day, I don't care how much money you have or what you do. Your most precious entity is your health and your body. And when you're at that level with people, there's a certain level of trust that's needed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So clearly when you are involved at that level, you actually take care of people where money can't help them. So it's a different paradigm. So things in which they look for is integrity, honesty, and then also something that's very important is loyalty. Now, why do I say that? Because at the end of the day, they are very vulnerable. And so the information that you get and that you have, you have to protect that, almost go to the grave with it. Because there's certain things that you have or information that you know that TMZ Sports would pay tons of money for. You know that they will be at your door, tabloids. So there has to be a sense of uncanny ethics that you have, that they have to trust you. And it's a relationship that you build over time because typically with these high-profile athletes, they really have a trust issue. Let's be realistic. I mean, let's take, for instance, for Isaiah Thomas. Here's a guy that played in the Celtics, did extremely well. His daughter, his sister dies. He goes to the playoff championships. He gives us all. He comes to the office the next day and he's training. So in a sense, you have to let them know two things. One is that you're there for them, but you're there for them, not because you admire who they are as an athlete, but you admire who they are as a person. That is so important. And the one model that I always tell all my patients and I tell young doctors coming up, if you treat people as if they were your mother, nine times out of 10, you do the right thing. Not necessarily your dad. Some people be like, oh, my dad, whatever, but their mom. And if you treat every patient the same, you never, ever, 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 ever have to worry about changing what you do. And the hardest thing for me with these guys is sometimes is to say no, because when you say no to them, you're seen in a different way. For every time I say yes to a, an athlete, I probably said no 30 times. But the majority of the people say yes to them. They get what they want. You mm-hmm. and I know that. Mm-hmm. Financial advisor comes to them, or another doctor comes to them, or someone comes to them. They're used to being catered to for their whole entire lives. All right. Since they, since they knew that they were pegged as being this great sort of kind of physical being to take on the world, people have given them stuff, shoes, sneakers. You know what I mean? You know, tickets closed. And so they're used to people 
giving them things because of their talent. And so when you take that position and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that to you for this reason. And then not only is it with athletes, it's also with, with superstars. I mean, imagine what would happen if Michael Jackson's doctor said no to the propofol or Prince doctor said, no, you need to stay here and take this medicine. It's going to reverse this opioid, uh, you know, overdose you're having. You know what I mean? So I think sometimes that, you know, when you're dealing with these individuals, whoever you are, you got to be honest, you got to stand, be ethical, stand your ground and be able to say no and explain why you say no. And the more I say no, actually, the more they come back. It's interesting. It's kind of like, no, I'm not going to do that for you. And I'll get a call again for something else. No, but I'll do this for you. Or you don't want to do that because you can end up dead. So I like that because when you work for a team, or typically when you work for an organization, these guys are, you're, they don't know if they can trust you because they know that you're actually an employee. So if they get an MRI and they got a torn ACL or, and, or torn meniscus or bad meniscus and you report that to the team, that's going to affect their ability to make millions. Mm. So there has to be that trust. And I'm sorry if that's long-winded. I apologize, but that's, that's a tough question you asked. No, that's perfect. I was so excited to ask you that question because there's so many parallels in financial services. And what I see is there, and there's so many parallels between a financial advisor and a doctor when you really look at a successful practice and how it operates. Absolutely. What's, what's interesting is here's the rule that I see a lot of times in financial services is, you know, I meet with somebody that has $500,000. Okay. Here's my normal process I go through. And then there's an extra comma that gets added. And maybe now they have a million or 2 million or 5 million or 10 million. All the rules get thrown out the door. If they want to meet 15 miles over at midnight on a Sunday night, they'll do it because of the dollars in the bank account. And so really what I just heard you say is my rules are my rules. My ethics are my ethics. Here's my process. And if you want to work with me, great. And it's mutually beneficial, but I don't bend my rules based on who's walking into the office. Absolutely. And when you do that, they'll respect you more and they'll stay with you. Because when you start to change who you are and what you do, you're not true to yourself. And if you're not true to yourself, then you don't know who you are. All right. If you don't stand for or they say, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so when you chase the dollar, then all of a sudden you always lose. So you do things because of integrity, you do things because you care, you do things because you want to better not only yourself, but the people around you. And I think that's been my success. Is that, and, and it's been hard because at the end of the day, you know, when I first started, it was like, well, you just said no to the U.S. Olympian gold medal top this, this, and this. I said, yes, because I'm not going to break the law or I'm not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize this person's career or anything else. And, uh, and it's got to be the same way financially, because if you think about this, the key is this. If you educate your consumer, meaning patient, they'll come back because they got something out of it. If you don't educate them, and you know this, a lot of these athletes, after they're done, they're broke. Seven years, studies have said, seven years after they are completed with the playing, 75 or 80% of them are bankrupt. You made $150 million. You've made more than I've ever made and ever dream of. And you got nothing to show for it because the person that was in their life didn't educate them. And that's the key. That's sad. It is And not only is that sad, so then you lose your money and now your health is going out of the way, right? So you're not as fast as you used to be, you got pain, you're moving around like you're an old guy. So 
you, what I realize is that when I take on these guys and, I, and you take care of them, you got to take care of them for life. And, uh, and I believe that. And, and because that's what I do with my patients anyway. So the financial advisor has to have that same mentality, you know, is that I'm setting you up not only for now, but for life. So you can continue doing great things once you're out of the league, once you're out of this, once you have no ability to make money throwing, dribbling, or playing with a, a ball. But now that I've educated you, now that we've become partners in this process, everyone's going to eat. Everyone's going to do well. I'm going to be happy. You're going to be happy. And I've made a difference and contributed to society. You know, something sad. I was watching, there's an NBA basketball player that was, her name is, uh, they go, she goes by the name of Sky. I don't remember her last name, but there was just an episode on her on Outside the Lines where she's homeless. They found her homeless. Here she was, the number one recruit that played basketball, went in the WNBA for a while, and then was discovered homeless in the streets of D.C. I mean, I mean, she had a really bad schizophrenic sort of kind of history. But either way, I mean, here you was at top of the world, and now you're homeless. I mean, that's happening a lot. So where's the person's financial advisor? Where's the person where you, where's that person that was there when you had all this fame and uh, this money? But what you don't understand, that person is still part of our society. And now it's going to cost us even more to take care of them because of now they have mental issues or something else that's going on that's going to be, you don't want to say a burden of society, but you want to say that they are someone now in our community that's dependent on people like you and I paying taxes when they had all the resources and were never really taught or shown where that team that was supposed to be there is no longer there for them. So if you want to, if you want these guys for life, you got to be in win it. Let me ask you a question because now the curiosity that my wheels are turning over here. <laughs> so if, if I was if I was a financial advisor mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they necessarily want a professional athlete as a client because I think some of them could be quite the handful trying to deal with all the things that get thrown at them. Oh, absolutely. But let's say I do want to target that market. I want to work with professional athletes. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice, your approach to go about developing a relationship or getting having some sort of a plan that I've got the ability to potentially bring on some professional athletes as clients. First of all, you got to realize the, the most important thing that you said is that bringing on the financial, these guys as the clients is that's it. You're not just bringing on them. You got to understand that you're really dealing with about 10 to 15 people. That means that you're dealing with an agent, dealing with a manager, you're dealing with their friends that they grew up with, maybe dealing with some of their siblings. You may be dealing with a, a overzealous parent, as you can you see what's going on in sports right now. Or so you gotta understand that really is that that person is really a business or an entity. That that's the way they're they're viewed. And so sometimes, depending on you definitely have to figure out one, who is the main person that controls and runs the ship? Is it the mother? All right. That's the person that you're gonna have to get in with. If this is the mom. That's the first thing I recommend. Find out who's really running the show. Because who's making the decision? Because that athlete's job is to really, 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 they're young, they're 21, 22. They're going to do what pretty much who they trust the most to tell them what to do because they're, they're babies. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. You need to first do your homework and find out who's in their circle. Then second of all, if it's the manager, find out what the manager's role is and then sort of kind of who's all on his team. Does he have a financial advisor? Does he have an accountant? Does he have a chef? Does he have, you know, a medical doctor? All right? And then if he doesn't, then you need to infiltrate that and have conversations with those individuals so that they feel comfortable having you around. It's very rare that I've met an athlete on my own other than being in either a team environment or that either an agent has called me or a parent or a manager or an athletic trainer. 
Okay. Because that's their circle. So you need to understand that that circle is dependent and influenced by all those forces. So if you don't have connections, with all those forces, your relationship with the athlete can be gone as fast as it can. Great. Because there's okay, so, yeah. Yeah. So let's go. You, you shared another story, Sadiq, about another thing. I, I Just going back to that, valuing yourself and not changing the rules regardless of who's who you're engaging with. Mm-hmm. You don't you can share the name if if that's okay to share the name, but there was a very well-known musician on probably one of the most well-known rock bands of all time that asked you to kind of be in his posse or whatever you want to call it, basically <laughs> be backstage uh, while he's performing. And, and you really laid down like, hey, here's Here's the situation, and I'm not necessarily going to move forward. So I'd love to hear a little bit of that. You love to hear that. You love to hear that. Well, okay. So, I mean, clearly, obviously, one of the things that we do, and I can, I'll share, I don't mind. I mean, I, it's not talking about medical care. So, Paul McCarthy team came to Atlanta for the most part. And uh, typically, a lot of times when a lot of these musicians and different stars come in, they usually like to have a physician and or a medical staff on uh, site. For various reasons. So, you know, I, I get a call and uh, they, you know, most of the time they just want you to be around or on call. They call you. If something happens, you go to the arena where they're playing or you take care of them or you're in the back. And so I get a call and, and from his team or from our team and they say, hey, Dr. Omeen, Paul McCarthy's uh, in town. He wants you to come cover him. And I say, what do you mean? He's like, well, he wants you to be there two hours before the show. He wants you to be there throughout the whole show. He wants you to be on the side of the uh, arena uh, with uh, your medical equipment, oxygen, and then you got to hang out four hours afterwards. I said, wait a minute here. Oh, and by the way, we're going to give you $250. $250. I said, <laughs> first of all, nothing personal, but I said, you know, um, no, for two reasons. <laughs> One is, I think you're 76. And if something goes wrong and you need all that, then you probably shouldn't be on stage for that long. Second of all, if something goes wrong, I'm going to be the guy known as the guy that Bob McCartney died while he was on stage and you were there as his treating doctor. So I said, you know, no, thank you, but no, thank you. This is not the environment that I want to be in or see myself. And sometimes you have to walk away. So they're probably mad at me. Or I don't know. I haven't heard back from them again. They probably went with someone else, but I don't, you can't sacrifice what you believe in what you do. Because at the end of the day, I know that Paul McCartney would not do a concert for $250. Yeah. Now, if he said, Hey, Dr. Lamine, I'm, I'd love to donate my, your time or some of my proceeds to a charity of your, your liking or donate some, some of your mission work that you do. then I say, okay, let's talk. <laughs> now we, now we got a relationship that's beneficial. But at the end of the day, you know, providing care and providing good care are two different things. And so you got to know your worth. So, yeah. no, you know what? Just some tears for fears came. I was there hanging out. Took care of them. Great guy. All right. Took care of them. I was there because they value my worth. None of that. Guy called me up, flew in, we had surgery. Some of his team members. So, you know, you don't say no to everyone, but you want to make sure that you do the right thing. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, <laughs> but I do like Paul McCartney, though. Don't get that wrong. Yeah. Like his music. Love the Beatles. My Hey, my, my kids jam the Beatles every morning. I do, too. But, you know, at the end of the day, I could not have that on my conscience knowing that Paul McCartney went down and I was the one doing chest compressions. And he's 76 and I didn't have everything I needed. 
Not for $250 an hour. Not for $250. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to, I want to switch gears. I was doing sure. some research and what I really appreciated was your, your humble beginnings. Oh yeah. I, I come from middle of nowhere, Kansas, mm-hmm. the humble beginnings myself. And I think I've got this right. You were the first one in your family to graduate from high school. Absolutely. That's true. That is true. My parents were pregnant with me at 15. Oh, wow. Yeah, 15. I can't imagine two kids pregnant at 15 in the eighth grade, drop out of the eighth grade, get married, and then have a child, let alone, you know, go through with keeping it, getting married, and doing the right thing. And so... I literally was the first of my generation to uh, finish high school, first to go on to college, first to go on to obviously med school, get a PhD, first of a lot of things. And so that's why I say it's just a gift of God, because where I come from, there is no way I should be even sitting here talking to you. I mean, it's, it's just amazing that, you know, some of the things I've been able to do throughout my life, I just have just said, okay, I have no idea what's next for me, but I believe in going through life with faith and not fear and just saying, okay, you've taken me this far. So let me just keep going because where I come from, kids don't grow up to be national physicians for sports teams and, you know, do research and tissue engineering and all these things. It's just not what we dream about. We dream about, or what we're talking about, we dream about dribbling a ball or, or making it the next day, or just trying to get out of our, off our street corners. I mean, so uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm amazed. I thank my parents every day. I love them because they are my heroes. I, I mean, they weren't educated. They didn't come for money. They always said to me, I don't know how we're going to get you there, but we'll get you. There. And that's very powerful because they taught me to never give up. We, 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 you want to be a doctor? They didn't say no. It's crazy. They're like, okay, well, well, we got an eighth grade education. We go to JRD, but we know if you got to do well in school and we'll try to find a way for you. And that taught me a lot. That's uh, it's inspiring. What was the greatest gift they gave you? Just growing up, if you think back, was there something that they just, from the very early days, because that's quite the story. Yeah. The greatest gift they, they gave me is always be good to people. That success comes from giving, giving unconditionally. And that's so important because one of the things that we've gotten away from really and I don't care how successful you are. And I'll tell you this, and you know, no matter how much money you have, how much clout you have, at the end of the day, when your health fails, it fails. And I've been in situations where I've dealt with multi-billionaires, multiple people who got so much money in the world and sorry, can't help you because at the end of the day, there's nothing that can help you. It's your time. And I'm going to tell you something, the ability to give and to help is so powerful and it comes back. And that's what I've learned from that. And I appreciate them that they taught me to give and to walk in faith. I think that's so important because that's all you, that's sometimes all you have. I mean, I didn't have a podcast to get on and get influenced by. I didn't have a, I didn't see a doctor in my neighborhood. I dreamed, I dreamed of what it's going to be one day to be off my street corner. I dreamed. And no matter how bad someone tried to crush that dream, they were always there to say, you know what? Give them love, not hate. Continue to dream and continue to do positive things. And that's where we've lost it. I mean, people don't want to give anymore. Does that make sense? And so, you know, and that's what changed my life. And I realized that 
when I started giving and doing great things, more things came my way. Yeah. It was good. It's interesting. There's a lot of takers out there, but you notice the givers and they stick out and it's, uh, it's going back to the people that come back to you. Just the fact that at the level you respect, like what I've taken from this conversation so far, there is no status symbol that really affects your viewpoint or clout based on where this person comes in or how they rank in other people's eyes or the world or athlete or billionaire. It's I'm there with that person. And if I can add value to their life, cool. Yeah. And if well, I, you know, you're absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, you know, when it's all said and done, it no matter what you believe in. And, and, and you know, if, if you believe in a God, not a God or whatever, and if you stand in front of the gates of heaven and she says, Hey, Sadiq, I gave you this amazing, phenomenal ability to change the world. And did you help all my people? Did you do an ACL on the poor person? Or did you just choose to help a shack or Dwight Howard or a, you know, Paul Nelson? Or did you choose to help everybody? Because, you know, when it's all said and done, no one puts on your tombstone, you did 10,000 ACLs. They don't say that. No one says that you had a $3 billion financial empire. What do they say? He was a good person. He took care of this community. He loved this family. You know, those are the things that at the end of the day that really matter. And how you get there is different. But, you know, that's why I try to teach young doctors and try to teach people in my life that if you give and you put yourself in a position to help, you get so much back. And that's why I do mission work. That's why I'm proud that I take care of some of these high profile individuals. But what's really happy for me is when I can fly a kid in, that's a foster kid that can't get an ACL and I do his ACL and I don't for free. And I know he's going to now go on and better his life. You know, mm. how can you and I teach people younger than us to care about the world if we don't care about them? And that's what I'm seeing. And so that's what I'm just trying to do. Loving it, man. All right. Let's switch gears again, because you gave me a lot of ammo before the conversation. So I got, I've got to make, I know, sure, man, I know. I've got to make sure I get to it. But this has been fun. We can have like multi-podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> this like is podcast. episode one, right? Four. Okay. So let's transition into, you said you were cool with sharing this. I don't know how you get all this done. I want to hold up your resume. <laughs> I mean, here we go. For people watching in on video, this is, we've got pages. I mean, I was, when I applied for my first job, I was lucky if I got half a page and we've got like three here. So that's my challenge is trying to get through all of this. But so you get all this done. You're obviously a very educated person and someone that from everything I can tell, you're never going to stop anytime soon. Never. So how did you go about selecting your financial advisor, the guy that you currently work with or the team that you currently work with? What was your methodology? How did that they, come to be? They had to keep up with me. That, because at the end of the day, I realized that the first thing when they got to know me, they said, my God, man, you are... You, you, you're all over the place. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> you're, you're a really good surgeon, right? You do, you operate not like you're like doing like one or two cases a week. You're like very busy. You started your own tissue engineering, regenerative medicine company and done qu quite well. And you're in the forefront of regenerative medicine. You are, you consult and you go all around the world and you teach other doctors how to operate. And, uh, your dad, your, you know, it's like, do you sleep? And I said, I do sleep. I do. But I'm always going because I love what I do. It's not work to me. It really isn't. I mean, it's fun. 
And I tried to, you know, so I went through a couple of private advisors because they, they just, they were just like, I just, they were just burnt out. And so the end of, the person that I ended up hanging out with was uh, a guy that was a former NBA player who was, I think was one of the first African-American gentlemen that had his own franchise in, in Chicago. And then he went off and, and did his own thing. But I met him because he was a former athlete. He had done extremely well. And then he also had a huge humanitarian heart. And he was also helping athletes who basically had lost everything. That's huge. I mean, some of his clients were guys in which who had $90 million contracts and $100 million contracts and basically had uh, gone with other financial advisors and then were in retirement and really had nothing. So this guy was not only sharing, his, he was educating people. Does that make sense? Yeah. He was educating his clients. And so that said, you know, I need you again to teach me how to be a businessman. Because if you're the greatest doctor in the world, the greatest surgeon in the world, but if you don't know how to tur- turn a dollar into two, you'll never make it into anything. And we definitely have to talk about that, you know, that because, you know, doctors, people think we're smart. People think we've got all this great knowledge. We do, but we don't know nothing about business. We're like drones to be thrown into a hospital environment and to work for someone else. And 90% of what we take, what we make goes to other people. So if you look at the pie of medicine, you'll be amazed. So for me, I needed a guy that was going to walk that with me and uh, have that ability to teach me. How did you originally cross paths? Was that a referral? How did that happen? I met a patient of mine. I operated on her, operated on her son. And she said to me, uh, her son had a horrible injury, blew every ligament in his knee, reconstructed his knee, and he went back playing football, did well. She said, you know what? I met the financial version of you. I said, hmm. what? She said, here's his number. Give him a call. He's a financial advisor. You guys should meet. And I called him one phone and we talked about everything other than just money. We talked about, that's my goals. Talked about my family. Talked about where I see myself, how I was going to get there. Talked about my savings, my debt. You know, those are things we talked about. And then he said, okay, I'm going to, we're going to create a team for you. We're going to create a team of people that are going to help you, which is going to include an accountant. It's going to include a manager. It's going to include a PR. You know, you got to get a marketing person. You got to make sure that your research empire is protected. You got to make sure your medical is protected. So what he started to do is he explained to me that you are now an entity and a brand and we have to treat you as such. So you need to incorporate this company. You need to have multiple companies that you do what you do so that you can protect yourself. You can create revenue. You can have a future. And then also, because you do a lot of mission work, you need a foundation. You need a foundation. We're going to start a foundation because you're going over to Africa. You're going over to all these places and you're operating on all these kids for free. And you want to keep doing that, but you don't have an arm sort of going to help you in that. It's great. You're playing out of your pocket, but you know, you need to, you need, so he taught me how to organize my life because all I know is I'm a surgeon. Like I said, I can put your arm on in my sleep, but no one's ever given me a course on how to make a dollar in the two. So, mm-hmm. and that takes a lot of time. And so it's, I'm not an easy person to keep up with, obviously. Yeah. Neither are you, but, but, you know, typically when that's, you know, so his attitude is I'd rather have a good client that is good and 
as opposed to 20,000 clients that I don't really know. And I've been through that whole thing where, you know, someone calls you up and they're your financial advisor. You don't even talk to them. You get a statement. But this guy, he calls me. I talk to him. We communicate. He sends me his clients that need surgery. I send him some of my doctor friends that are like struggling and I have no idea or this or that or I need them for a financial advisor. So doctors, you don't understand. We've trained, if you think about it, we've trained, most people have trained anywhere from 10 to 15 years before they've made a dollar, right? So if I back up, I take that time and put that on Wall Street, I probably could have made so many hedge funds. It have been ridiculous, right? So we got this delayed gratification thing. And so when we get out there, we're just like a kid in the candy store. We're just trying to do everything. And so sometimes the financial advisor has to say, whoa, 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 hold on here, buddy. That's great. You all right? I understand you want to get a nice car, nice house because you've been living in a little shack for a long time, but let's back it up. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I find that the financial advisors and this guy who does this, he's got a lot of athletes and they're doing extremely well. And so, you know, and uh, so that's what drew, drew me to him. There's a lot, a lot you just shared right there. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to to take a couple things that, that I heard you say. So I apologize, man. No, that's, that's perfect. Like right now, financial advisors are like, they're leaning in, trust me. So what I heard you say is he, he really treated you and saw you as not just an individual that I'm going to manage some assets for and hopefully grow them. But here's all this other stuff going on in a doctor's life. He really became a business coach to you. It's really what a lot of that sounded like. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. That's a good way of putting it. And then the other thing was he didn't he didn't go in for the kill on the first conversation. He didn't he didn't come in and start talking about dollars and cents. It was more an understanding of what's going on in your life, what's important, how can we help you get there? Kind of paint a picture down the road. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's the synergy of medicine and finance. People think medicine and finance are really, you know, opposite polar spectrums, but they're really not. They're very, they're very close because typically really your biggest endorsement is your client, right? If I do a great job on you and your shoulder surgery, you're going to send me your friend. You're going to tell your friends about me. You're going to tell me, you know, the greatest compliment for a surgeon is when I bring you my family, I bring you my, or your colleagues come to you and they operate on you. It's the same thing as a financial advisor. If you didn't, if you made me money and you helped me grow as a person, I'm going to tell my other doctor friends, well, you know, sorry, this guy, this is what he's doing for me. It's been very easy to sell somebody like that. Because that's what medicine's about, right? It's good outcomes, but it's not about good outcomes. It's the story. It's the story that you go down because I can't control if you get an infection. I can't control whether or not you have a bad outcome sometimes as a surgeon. But what I can control is how I communicate with you, how much time I spend with you, and what I do through that process to make you feel comfortable. And be humble and say, I'm sorry, it didn't turn out right, but let me fix it. Yeah. And that's it. And if you're that surgeon, that's, don't talk to people. Don't, you might get them once, but you won't get them twice. And as a financial advisor, the guys that I have enjoyed that I'm with does that. So I will tell people that that's very important. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting as I was preparing for this conversation, I use a lot of doctor's analogies for financial advisors with just how to grow their practice, how to be systematic. And there are so many synergies in a, a successfully run physicians operation and a successfully run financial advisors operation because it is about systems and it is about processes. Because as you know, if you've got a lot of operations, you've got to be 
to one room, to the next, to the next, um, to help as many people as you can. But at the same time, you can't sacrifice that at them seeming like they're just a number, which is not exactly. That is exactly the key right there. That is that right there is an amazing summary of what you just said, because you're right. And that's the synergy because at the end of the day, when you do something like that, you sacrifice quality. And I don't care what you say in medicine. If I mess up your right arm, you only get one. So there's not, there's not much room for error there. So clearly helping physicians as a financial advisor, get organized and understand to help them see that they are a business entity is something that no one's ever given them. No one's ever given us that. I mean, you can ask any doctor, how many courses you had on your CPT code or your IC9 codes to bill? They'll say none. But guess what? If you don't submit that number the right way, you won't get paid by Blue Cross and Blue Shield. You won't. And a part of me thinks that the world wants doctors to not do that because that's the business that takes away money from the hospital. That's the business that takes money away from the the distributors. That's the business that takes money from the medical supply companies. So if you can work with, as a financial advisor with your physicians and explain to them and teach them the art of business, my goodness, that's an amazing dual power because we got the friends, we got the income, but my goodness, we don't know what to do with it. (laughs) Okay, so let's let's have some fun here. This will be fun. If I was a financial advisor and I was going to market to very successful doctors, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, where do doctors hang out? I guess would be a better way. Like, what sort of activities would I need to host where you raise your hand and I'm like, I'm in. I want to show up. Uh, that's a good question. That's a very hard one because we don't hang out anywhere but the hospital. Right. So let's back up. Let me explain some of what's going on here. The key is this. This is what happened. Doctors now are in this in this phase of their lives where the same thing they did five years ago, they're getting close to almost today, they're getting paid less, almost 50% less for what they did five years ago. That's crazy. So if I did an ACL back in 19, 19 and 2015, I got so much money. Now, if I do that exact same procedure today, I get paid almost 20 to 30% less. Right? So but, you know, I still got expenses. I still got things I have to do. Why is so, that? Why is well, that? Well, that's because of healthcare costs and cuts. All right? Because over time, you get less and less and less. So the doctor's mentality is, well, guess what? I got to do I got to do twice as much surgeries now. Mm-hmm. You're, like, you're like on that hamster. You're running. So now the ability has to be, instead of you thinking about running on that, that, that as a hamster on that little wheel, why don't we back up and look at all the things that you create? For instance, let's take the pie example, all right? A doctor, so we look at medicine as a pie, right? Some studies have said that a doctor basically only takes home probably 10% of that pie, all right? But no one else in that pie can get paid unless the doctor does what he needs to do. But in certain states, that doctor can have way more portions of the pie, or he can he can combine with people to get more of that pie. So. What I've done is I've said, why do a thousand cases? That's crazy. I'm going to have a heart attack on the OR. Instead of trying to fight for that 10%, why don't I back up and try to get more of that pie? Why don't I try to get into the distribution of medicine? Why don't I try to get into sort of kind of your own surgery center or partnering with people? Why don't I try to get into possibly, you know, 
my own bracing. When I try to get into, you know, dealing with the other aspects that you actually are responsible for, but don't come back to you. And that's called the business of medicine. <laughs> Does that make sense? And we are just taught, no, no, don't worry about that. You just get in there and you just do 10,000 cases. But when you look at your bill and you look at what you're going through, you realize that, that you are making a lot of people rich and you're the one that's taking all the responsibility, all the legality associated with it, but sometimes bringing home a small portion of it. So I tell all financial advisors, when you meet with these guys, say, hey, let's talk about, approach them in this way. Let's talk about, not about what you make. Let's talk about what you what you make other people and how you can become part of that process. That's a different concept. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's so interesting because what you just explained there, a struggle for doctors is also a struggle for financial advisors because yeah. the, the most successful some of our, our, the upper echelon that we work with gathering hundreds of millions of dollars organically of assets each year. What they figured out is rather than being the salesperson sitting face to face with client after client after client, they've now become the CEO. That's right. right? And now they have a team, which granted they might still sit down with clients face to face, but some of them don't anymore. And uh, that's really what you just walked through as you looked at it as, I'm going to step outside of the the guy that's operating and I'm now going to become really the CEO of everything that's going on in this pie and figure out how to make it work. Absolutely. Because you do anyway, because guess what? If I don't put my signature on anything, no one else gets paid. If I don't bring the patient to the hospital, guess what? You're not going to get a check, right? If I don't sign for you to get an MRI, the radiology group's not going to get paid. If I don't sign for you to go to PT, the physical therapist's not going to get paid. Now, some people say, well, you know, that's start, you're breaking Stark laws, you're doing all this stuff and everything. And I'm just saying to my physicians and financial guys, help us learn how to do that. Because if you do that, everybody wins. All right. Let's go uh, another direction here now. I'm like, oh, he did not. I got to like take off my shirt. Yeah, I know. Hey, like, it's oh, good, man. Get, I love when like people advocate are for physicians here. <laughs> <laughs> if you bust a sweat, I know I'm doing my job. Um, <laughs> okay. So I've got a list here. Technically, how many degrees do you have at this point? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot here. Let's just say a lot. PhD, molecular right, so, cell biology, yeah, yeah, right, so, medical science. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. Okay. All right. I'll, okay. Do you know why I have a lot of degrees? I'll tell you why. All right. So when I, I, my dad asked me, he said, hey, you really want to be a doctor? I said, yes. He said, you know, I'm going to help you get you there, but I, I don't know how. You're really a good athlete. so. I think, you know, uh, you need to really use being an athlete to sort of help you pay for college because we can't afford to send you to college. And so I ended up getting uh, some uh, athletic uh, scholarship money to Boston College to attend and uh, some, and some academic money. And then I, I found out that I could go to medical school for free if I got an MD-PhD. I said, excuse me? So, you know, I was like, really? And... uh there's this program through the NIH that if you submit a grant and you have a great project, you decide that you're smart enough to be get both MD and a PhD, you can go to school for free. So that was not only a great motivation, but I loved it anyway. I wanted to be at the intersection of science and medicine anyway. So it was just like a, a huge thing. And, and then through that journey where I'm from, you know, tomorrow's not promised, correct? Majority of my friends don't that I grew up with, kids I grew up with, don't make it past the age of 21. So I was afraid that what happens if like 
I don't get through my PhD. Well, might as well grab that master's because it's there. <laughs> and I did that. And then I had a master's. And uh, then I kept going on. And then I got a PhD. And then by the time, I could have never imagined that I would be doing all this. Trust me. This is the grace of God because there's no way a kid coming from inner city Rochester, New York, should be, you know, an MD, PhD, you know, uh, MS, and leader in surgery and in regenerative medicine. So I can't explain it myself. I call my parents and they say, what? Really? We don't know what to do with you. We're just glad we had you. High five. And we just keep it moving because the day we're all enjoying the ride. And, and I pray God, and I'm so thankful that he's given me this ability. And, but I, I realize that this is bigger than me. This is bigger than me. So that TV that you see is what I call a young kid so afraid to go back and be on the inner city streets and not make anything of himself. Does that make sense? The drive to want to be great can sometimes be driven by the fear of ending up with nothing. And if you're doing it for the right reasons to make the world a better place, you end up sitting on the podcast talking to you. So <laughs> you, you gotta set your you gotta set your horizons higher, my friend. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, come on, man. I saw he was on your podcast. You got, you got, you got, you got, I was like, whoa, <laughs> these guys are like billionaires. They're like, Dude, wow. But, so, but like, how do you get it all done? If you could share one thing, because a doctor's life, especially one that's as accomplished as you, now, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of balls getting juggled all at one time very similar to a financial advisor. What's you know, your secret I, to getting it all done? I invest in people, all right? That's the most important thing. Most people think I've done this all on my own, but I haven't. And what I mean I invest in people is I believe in if I make other people better, we rise the tide, all right? A lot of things that you see, a lot of publications that you see that I do is because I took a young kid that wanted to get into medical school and was new that he needed a publication. And so I said, why don't you come work in my lab and we'll work on this project together and this is what will happen. By giving back, I've gotten so much and it's just kept propelling me. So that's my core. And that's the key. You know, two minds are better than one. Ten is better than one. But if it's done for the right reason, everyone wins. And that's the key. You can't be afraid to share. Mentoring, being mentored is so amazing. And it comes back. And so... That's the key. That's the one thing I tell everyone because most people think, oh, you're this amazing doctor. You operate on the president. This, you did this. You take care of these great athletes and you're unapproachable. No, I'm not. You know, I had a, had a guy that called me the other day. He wants to get into med school. And I said, why don't you do two things with me? One, meet me at the studio so you can see me taping the show. Come on set because I'm very busy. You can see what I'm doing and I can talk to you in between the show. And then we can come up with a plan and then I'll give you some, some projects to do that 15 minutes changed his life. You know what I mean? He saw that a physician not only can take and heal, but you can also be on a TV show and talk about educate people. You can now he's writing a paper on me for me on regenerative medicine, you know, in sports. And so that's going to help his career. That's what mentoring is, is planting the right seeds to help the right people. And if we do that, everybody wins because yeah. whether you like it or not, I got to find somebody to operate on me someday. <laughs> all right. Cause no matter what you say, we <laughs> all have one thing in common. We all, our bodies will all fail us. 
and we're all going to need some type of good medical care. And I want to make sure the guy that operates on my shoulder knows exactly what I know. Yeah, that's what I read a book last year. I'm actually rereading it this year, The Daily Stoic, Ryan Holiday. Mm -hmm. And basically, just took a bunch of stoicism and condensed it and then kind of adapted it to today's world. And there was December was a month on uh, mortality. And so, you know, I'm getting ready for the family Christmas. We've got a seven-year-old, six-year-old, two-year-old. And then I'm like reading this like super deep stuff in the morning. And I'm like, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Like this isn't getting me in the holiday spirit, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that that he talked about is, hey, we're all eventually going to be food for the worms. So you can't take yourself too seriously, you know, regardless of who you are, you're never that important. Yeah. At the end, that's eventually what we're all going to end up. So if we can help people while we're here, I heard one of my, my past guests, basically what you just shared. He said, you can't forget to send the elevator back down. Somebody sent it down for you originally to help pull you up. Don't forget to send it back down. And you're so right because we've gotten so me, 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 me. And so at the end of the day, you know, I love taking care of athletes, but what really, really makes me get up in the morning and run to be a surgeon is taking care of someone who basically just wanted to just go to work and just, just wanted to not be in pain. Because when you do that, when you take that and you give that back to them, what they can do to this world is just, this is amazing. And that's important to me. And uh, so, you know, and I know, you know, you deal with these athletes and people say, oh my God, this is great. You're just unreal. That what's it like to take care of this guy? I say it's no different. In, in my mind, it's harder to take care of him because he requires more. But I tell you, I get more joy out of just helping that old lady that fell down the stairs that was laying on the ground. And all of a sudden, she couldn't get up. Now she's walking again. That, to me, is what it's all about, or doing mission work. Or That, to me, at the end of the day, that's the core. And that's why I've been successful, because I hold on to that. And I challenge every doctor, every person to... You know, it's not about asking yourself, what have I, what, what can I, what, what's, what you got is for me. What's in it for me It's, what are you going to do for someone else? And by doing, and, and by doing something for someone else, guess what? You have done something for yourself. You've paid it forward. Okay. Have you read a book called When Breath Becomes Air? No, because I don't have time. I got to like, I mean, <laughs> I mean listen, I got to like, uh, you make it, you're I, pulling, I, you're pulling some things out of me here that are just, um, I, I wish I had time to read. <laughs> that's one thing. That's one thing I don't. I wish, you know, and then I say once it's all said and done and I kind of calm down a little bit. One thing I want to be able to do is be able to sit, sit on the beach someday and start to read a lot of things. But, you know, it's really hard for me to finish books because I got so much going on. Yeah. But, well, you're right. You're basically writing them with all the medical journals that you I write. know. It's a, and that's one thing I will say is that, you know, my goals is to be a little bit more, take care of myself, do a little things that I need to do to just make me a better person, you know? Oh, so. Come out to Kansas. I've got a fishing. I've got a pond in the back. We'll, we'll go out on the boat. We'll fish. We'll just relax, kick the feet up. It'll be good. I'd love to. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, That'd be great. Well, he, here's what's interesting. Out of that book, so this was a physician that he was actually a brain surgeon and came down with terminal cancer. And mm-hmm. it was kind of his memoir. And uh, just, I'm, I remember, the reason I remember that book so profoundly is I was literally flying out to on a business trip. I had tears streaming down my face on an airplane. And I'm like, this lady to my right, I guarantee she thinks like I'm literally having a mental break. <laughs> it was that it was that powerful of a book. But, but he said something that I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you because sure. it seems like you have a really good handle on and, and you stay... He, he basically was saying as a brain surgeon, he got numb to it. He did so many operations 
at some point in his career, it was like it, he had lost touch with this is actually a human being I'm operating on. It became a job, right? Uh-huh. And he came back out of that and he said, I had to realize that this is literally, I have the most noble job. This person's life is in my hands right now. And to always remember that when he walked into the room. Yeah. And I would think that that's something for doctors that can sometimes just because you're going, yeah. is that tough or how, how do you stay? Yeah. How, how do I stay grounded? You know, yeah. I stay grounded. How does it not become a grind? And how, how do you, because what you just shared right there is I realize like I'm helping these people go live the lives they want to live. So how do you constantly stay present with that? You got to get in touch to kind of your core. So that's why I do mission work. I do mission work every year of the last three years. I give up a week to 10 days and I go somewhere and I operate for free. And now I operate for free. I get back to the core why you went into medicine. I think that's so important. That's a lot of doctors. You got to get back to why you went into core medicine. Because when you want to be a doctor, you don't know about PPOs, HMOs, Blue Cross Blue Shield. You don't know about co-pays. You just want to help people. You're like, I just want to help people. I don't know if I want to take your insurance or not, I'm a Medicaid maker. And then you get thrown into this world where people are telling you what you do and what you can't do and this, and you can't do this surgery, you can't do that surgery. And then you get a little bit blinded. You get a little bit, oh my God, this person, no one else looks at this person as an entity or a person or human feelings. They look at it as just a, an insurance card. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I always do is I always tell everyone it's so important to get back to the core of why you went into medicine. Now, so you go over to Liberia, go over to Liberia. In Liberia, you get in a car accident, you break your leg. What do they do? They don't, they can't fix it. So they, nine times ten, they usually amputate it. Mm. Right? Now, you and I get in a car accident, we break our leg, you come here, I wash it out, I do everything. Next thing you know, you get a uh, surgery, you're walking in 12 weeks. That's a big difference. So when you're sitting here and you're looking at hundreds of kids that have lost their leg because they just don't have the technology or the education to fix this or the know-how, you go there and you do that while you're there for a week, you take care of all that call and you allow people to have their limbs or you make a difference or you save their lives on simple things that you and I take for granted of, it keeps you humble. It keeps you humble. And I think that's when I do those things, people say to me, oh, my God, thank you so much for coming to our country to help us out. And I say, no, thank you, because you have given me back the core of why I've gone into medicine and why I love what I do. And that I have to go here and operate and do a great job with minimal stuff, which makes you a better doctor. But yet it allows me to walk away. And now my cup is full. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and that's why people get addicted to stuff like that. That's why you see people like, oh, doctors without borders and all this stuff. And why people do that? Because at the end of the day, sometimes people who want to help people, they have a humanitarian belief inside of them and they can get turned and jaded. And that's what you're talking about. That's what he's talking about in that book is that you've done so many of these and you're being told what to do that you don't really control who you are because you're really only taking home 10% of that pie. You don't really control. You're being told what to eat, what to drink, when to sleep, how much you can take home, what you're going to get. You work hard and you bill for something and you get half of what you bill for. You're being controlled almost like a puppet. So it's very easy to fall into that. And so I challenge doctors to get back and to understand the business. And that's where financial people can help you to help them understand the business of what they are in their entity. And then also 
promote that with human humanitarian side. So now I run. I, I got so many people coming to me with mission works. It's, it's pathetic now because they love it. It's changed who they are. Well, it's interesting because financial advisors sometimes they've got to do that exact same thing in their yeah. practice. Sometimes it's they look at their calendar and it's like on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. But then when you actually step back and you're like this lady that just lost her husband, they'd been married for 40 years. He handled all the finances in the family. She walks in completely broken and they're the one, they're like a surgeon, right? Her, right? They're putting Absolutely. her together. And so I think sometimes as financial advisors, you need that same reset button where you can step back and realize the work that you're doing. Not only does it impact the people that are right there in front of you, oftentimes it's generations, right? They're absolutely grandchildren. Absolutely. So that would be just one thing for everybody listening in here. I'd challenge you. Like if, if you ever feel like you're in that grind and you're just like, there's not enough of you to go around, just step back and think about the powerful work you're doing because that's right. And you're so right because that's it. That is the key to doing that. And when you're dealing with trials and tribulations and what I do, I step back and I think about giving. I think back and I think about uplifting others and getting back to the core of what you're doing. And it's not that hard to do. It's just that you lose yourself along the way. You know, I guarantee you if we can go back right now and the guy that pretty much changed our all life, right? Founder of Apple, right? If we can go back and have a conversation with him. And say, if you had the opportunity right now to put all your knowledge and power in the world of developing apps at Apple or putting that same knowledge and power in developing a cure for prostate cancer, which would you choose? I mean, I know what I'd say, right? So, I mean, so as you go through life, you can't predict what tomorrow can, is going to bring. You know what I mean? Money. You have all the money in the world. And I've been there. I've had some, take care of some high profile people. Who and, and money can't help. And at the end of the day, they're at the mercy of, of their belief, their foundation, their core, what they've done in their lives and how they've impacted others. And so when you're in that position of power to really do something, think about how you make the world a better place because you may need that someday to save your own self. <sighs> Sadik, all right. <laughs> um. I don't want this conversation to end, but I know, man, we're powering towards the finish line here. I know, so, I know, I know. Um, but awesome. I appreciate it. This has been really fun, yeah. uh, inspiring. And so I want to, I want to close here with a few philosophical questions. Oh, okay. I'm actually going to switch it up a little bit because okay. you gave me more ammo. than. <laughs> <laughs> See, you were worried about the fact that we talked previously that I didn't have anything to say. I was like, no, yeah, no I, I was just, I wanted to make sure that this conversation would serve financial advisors. I knew it would. Like when we had five minutes of conversation when we were introduced previously, yeah. I was like, oh boy, this could go on for days. So. If not, they all just go to their doctors and get a checkup. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> a healthy financial advisor is a good financial advisor. That's true. They're, hey, there's two people that you want to live longer than you in life. Or actually, there's, I butchered that. There's two people that you want to make sure are younger than you and healthier than you in life. It's your doctor and it's your financial advisor. Absolutely. So right. there you go. Because you know why? You know what they say? Your health is your wealth. It's true. If, if it goes the other way around, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's a good one <laughs> um, all right so i'm gonna go off script i i've kind of got my go-to questions here but but what i would love to to hear from you just going back to the mission work that you've done sure what's the one experience or the one story you can share from 
that that has just like blew your mind or made the biggest impact on you when you went over to Africa and just gave your time? That's tough because, you know, I almost died over there. So, all right. So, but the most important story is the, I took care of this girl that kind of really changed my life. I had a four-year-old girl who basically came who had this huge tumor in her leg. And I come to find out her and her mom had walked three days to get to me. Mm. All right. This is kid, four years old with this, uh, a tumor on the size of her leg. That's the size of a uh, watermelon and hadn't healed. And her and her mom walked, you know, took a bike, taxi, whatever to get to the hospital. I saw her, was able to get to her and able to uh, perform an amputation to save her pretty much her life at that point. That story always resonates with me because, you know, you never think that someone would, that someone, a little kid that was born, parents 15 years of age in the inner city, in Rochester, New York, inner city would be across the Atlantic Ocean saving lives. Does that make sense? That story also resonated with me and something I hold near and dear to my heart because, you know, you think about it, majority of most people die over there because they just can't get blood transfusion. A bag of blood over there costs 20 bucks. Right. I, I always stayed at Starbucks. Right. So who imagine that, you know, I'm operating on this girl. She don't have blood. The man, the money that I was, you know, after I had the surgery, she needed blood. The money that I would normally use in the United States to, to get me a, a mocha latte, save someone's lives. And so you start to understand that the second experience was that dealing with the Ebola thing, the whole Ebola crisis was, I mean, you guys don't understand because when I took care of the president of Liberia, one of the things I became is we became a, we became really very close. And after doing her surgery and after the Ebola thing happened, you know, being that confident, helping her out, you know, writing letters, getting letters from her, asking me to help her out and being there and, uh, and involved in that concept. Well, you don't understand how much that saved the world because you remember people were faced with dying. So they got on the plane and ended up in Dallas, ended up in Atlanta, ended up in different places. So that thing could have spread like wildfire and being involved in the situation and with the individual that took ownership of that and made sure that that was eradicated is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life because it saved, really it saved the world. It really did. Because if you and I were faced with a real bad disease and you and I know that I could get to another country and they would cure me, you get on a plane with your family too. Mm -hmm. Everyone would. So the fact that she, because there was a point where Madam Shalif had only four cases of Ebola left and yet, but they still had multiple cases in the Congo and Sierra Leone. She could have closed her borders. All right. And instead, because she had those Ebola treatment centers there, she moved them to that border to help eradicate that. Because if she had closed her borders, those people would have come to the United States. They would have gone to Germany. They would have gone to other places. So being involved in that whole concept, those discussions, the things that were going on, wow, that really blew my mind. It taught me a lot. And she said to me, if you want to be a great leader, you got to learn how to be a great servant. Said, wow. So, well, man, I don't know that my questions are good enough for you, man. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go. Uh, let's go this route. I, I think this will be interesting. I want to hear your viewpoint on it. If you could fast forward 25 years from now, and if you could choose to make something absolutely absurd, like I can't believe that even used to go down 25 years ago, what would that be? I would say, 
from an honest standpoint, it would be all the hate and racism you still see. And uh, because I think when I look at my life and I look at, you know, at the end of the day, you know, let's be real clear. I'm still a, and some people still see me as a black man in America. And there's people that I've operated on and on a, on a Wednesday and I'll see them at Walmart on a Tuesday and they won't recognize me because I'm not in my scrub or my doctor outfit. Be realistic. So as you and I know that as we go through this and I got very lucky, I mean, because, you know, a lot of kids that look like me and acted like me, that were smart like me, didn't make it out from my neighborhood. And so I wanna, want people, when they know who I am, I want them to understand that, wow, you know, that kid could someday grow up to help a president make decisions and be involved in helping eradicate Ebola or can take care of and operate and save lives, you know? So 25 years from now, I want to look back and say, you know what? I, I hope that the same things that, that we're dealing with, you know, the hate, the crimes and stuff, the separation, I hope that's gone. I can't believe that. I was like, that's absurd. hope that we learn to love each other. I hope we learn to understand that what our greatest concept in life was, what our greatest is our diversity and in that everyone has a talent. And I hope that people will realize that from this, that the same guy that you may think that you might have an opinion on could one day do some great things. Cause I was that kid, you know, I, I wore a hoodie. I still wear a hoodie. So, I mean, <laughs> it's no, comfortable, it's, man. It's, Don't. it's comfortable. Yeah. But I mean, but at the end of the day, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, I mean, you imagine, I mean, and I want that to come across because I want people to know, because if people don't see that young African-American males can do great things in life and be productive individuals in society other than bouncing the basketball and throwing football, then we will never get better as a nation. Because a lot of people say to me, man, you're nothing like I thought. I go, yeah, I know. You didn't know I, I was blessed with these talented hands to fix you. But it's, it's, a, and it's an educational process. So I learn and I teach others. And so I hope in 25 years that we're still not fighting the exact same things we're fighting now. You know, it's interesting being a small town Kansas kid, essentially 100% white from where, I mean, I grew up in a town of 2,000 people, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found for me personally, it was lack of exposure. And, and when I went to college and I played college football, sports brings people together. Absolutely. At least it, it did me. And we've talked a lot about sports today. Mm-hmm. Some of my best friends in the world, doesn't matter what color they are. We, exactly. we, were all, we were all competing on the same field. We all had the same aches and pains after practice. We all had the same challenges. And that, that's what I typically find is it comes from people that have never just, they've never actually just given it a chance to hang out and just be people. And right. be people together and do do the same thing, accomplish, you know, have a, a like cause to move towards. I agree. And that's the human cause. Because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's important. It is important. It's important. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. Last question. This could be a good one here. <laughs> um, if we go through your resume, we might keep rolling for a while. What is the one piece of advice, Sadiq, that you can share that's led to your success to this point? I know it's hard to say, but being humble. And I say being humble. I mean, because most people say, what? It's being humble. If you know me, you're like, wow, this guy is really kind of, it's really cool. It's really, I mean, being humble. And I think that's, that's the key. Because I think, you know, like you said, I've, I've, I've been blessed to do some amazing things. I don't know how, 
but I was been blessed because there's no way I could have predicted this. No one, anyone could predict this. You go back to my school, they go, what? You did what? You did? I mean, I get Facebook now. I'm like, oh my God, I taught you in seventh grade, sixth grade. I'm amazed at what you're doing. Oh, wow. I said, that's because you're a great teacher. You just didn't know it. <laughs> so, I mean, just being humble. I think so. And that's important. Stay humble. You don't forget where you come from. You don't forget where you come from. You don't, and it's never been about me. It's never been about me. It's never been about me. People say, you are, you're going to give up this amazing practice and you're going to go to Africa and operate free? Are you crazy? What happens if you get some crazy disease or whatever, whatever, or you come back or you're missing? I go, well, you're operating in fear. I'm operating in faith. And this is what I'm going to go do. You're going to go to China? You're going to go to China and teach? You're going to live in India and teach? Because this is where I have to go teach people and people want to learn. It's not about me. Mm. That's how you, that for me, that's how I stay humble. And, you know, and no matter what, like I said, at the end of the day, there's so much work to do. There's so much. I mean, I want the world to be a better place. And when you want the world to be a better place, you see all the ways to make it better, which is a humbling experience. It's not that you're negative about it. You just see that, my God, there's so much to do. You know what I mean? How can I complain that it's cold outside? You know, Saturday mornings, I, I typically, if I'm around, I get up and go feed the homeless. Why? Because it's hard for me to sit there and lay in bed and complain about the world and not do anything about it. And there are two types of people in this world. When things get bad, there's people who tear stuff up. And there's people who build. I'm a builder. And I'm trying to teach other people how to build. And I realize it's easier for people to just want to destroy things as opposed to build things. Because that takes creativity. Sadiq, thank you so much. Um, this you, is man. an honor. It's been a pleasure. I know. Um, time flew. You just put me into a time warp. It <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I know everybody tuning in here took a lot from this conversation. Well, thank you. Seriously, thank you for just allowing me to share my story. Thank you for just even just, you have no idea. This is kind of like, you know, it, it's amazing. Thank you for just, just letting me just be on here. It really is. My honor. All right. Until all right. next time. Okay. Until that next trip to Kansas. Uh, 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 uh. You say my name right all the time, so we've got to pound it out. Um. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> bye bye. Take care. Take care. Thanks for checking out the latest show. I truly appreciate the reviews as it helps me figure out which guests and content resonate with you all. Obviously, so I can do more of it. So here are four more recent reviews. The first one comes to us from user M-B-O-N-F-A-2, who says, can't miss podcast. So much great information. I look forward to each new one as they are released and get great information from each one. The Daniel Crosby podcast has only been out four days and I've listened to it three times and may start over again. The process versus product podcast. What can I say about this? This may be the single most influential podcast book for me in 2017. I'm literally revamping my business using the perspectives pulled from that 30 minutes. And I can't remember being more excited in my 13 plus years in the business. I'd give six stars if I could. Kudos. Wow. That may be review of my career. That's, I mean, that type of stuff is what keeps me going. If you're out there listening in, uh, user MBONFA2, let's connect as I'd love to hear how you've incorporated the process versus product concept into your practice. Obviously, you can go out to the website. We can connect there. But 
we literally just had 40 advisors in last week going deep on this same concept, including helping them trademark and custom build their proprietary process out. So I'd love to hear what you've done with yours. Also, what more can I say about the Daniel Crosby episode as it's consistently been one of our most talked about, downloaded, most popular episodes. So glad to hear it hit home with you as well. Thanks for the incredibly kind words and also for listening in. The next review comes to us from user Elite Advisor who says, Informative and Practical Podcast. I am a CFP practitioner and I listen to every single podcast from Brad because the information is informative and practical. Hi, Brad. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and interviewing great guests. Hi, back at you, Elite Advisor. Love the username. Honored to hear that someone who's invested the time to become a CFP is loving the show. Goal is to keep the great guests and information coming your way. Thanks for listening in and thanks for the time that you took to review the show. Next up is Jay Dallas with a Z829 who says, A little bit of everything for everyone. I really enjoy Brad's podcast because you get a wide perspective of advisors from different structures from within the industry. The guests are always engaged and I can usually take a point or two away from each episode and apply it. Appreciate the review, Jay Dallas 829 Really try to keep the format open so that regardless of if you're an advisor out there just starting out or a seasoned vet, it can still bring you ideas and concepts to help you grow your practice from whatever size it may be. Also, thanks for the comments on the guests being engaged. I try to stay as curious as possible and ask questions I think you all would want to know the answer to. So hopefully that's part of it. Thanks for tuning in. And the last featured review for the week comes to us from Zman2005 who says, Great podcast. Brad does a great job of taking experts from various fields and applying their knowledge to the financial advisor space. Definitely worth a listen. Z-Man, thanks for the review. And if you happen to be listening in and there are other guests you'd love to hear on the show, hit me up out on Twitter. My username is at Brad underscore Johnson. Would love to hear what other experts or fields I should pull from to get some great guests on here. Dr. Elamine, perfect example, completely outside of our field and absolutely crushed it. So appreciate the feedback and we'll work hard to keep good content coming your way. As I wrap up the show, I just have to say that I love reading each and every review. So thank you for taking the time to send the love via the internet. For those of you that have interest in diving deeper or maybe figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, my day job happens to be consulting financial advisors from all over the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus the other way around. So if you'd like to apply to see if that makes sense for you and for us to have a one-on-one conversation, as I said at the beginning of the show, I will take the first 5 listeners. I wish I had more time. That's what I can commit to. You can apply at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. It takes about 5 minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you on the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. 
The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation. 